0: Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode, and I'm so glad you're joining me. I want to take a minute before we get started and invite you to head over to our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights this podcast, Unshaken, our blog called Planted, our Mom to Mom ministry aimed at encouraging mothers in the work they do, and also our Regarding Him conference that happens yearly in March. There is so much good content. On these socials, you are not going to want to miss it, so go follow them today. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Castbox. It helps us out and it also helps you out because you get notifications of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to us at unshaken psalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you ever have any ideas, suggestions, or thoughts about an episode. Or maybe you just want to tell me about something that you heard on an episode and how it impacted you. Finally, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Hey, let's jump right into our episode today. All right, today is the second part in our mini-series called Purpose. This series is focused on the topic of what's our purpose each day? Maybe this is a question that you've grappled with at different points in your life. Maybe it's just something you think about often as you go about your everyday life. Does what I do matter? Do I even matter? If you haven't listened to the first episode in this mini-series, head back to episode 135 to hear the first part called Truth. Well, today we're going to listen to a pre-recorded talk given by April Kincaid called Design. Last time we focused on how God created women for a particular purpose and how we can live in that truth each day. Today, we're going to break that down further and talk about how God has given clear expectations for you and I as women. We're going to learn how we can trust His way each and every day and how this will bring us great joy and freedom in our lives.
1: I was looking for a bed. I decided I needed a bed. Um, Up until that point, I was sleeping on basically my box spring and mattress just like stacked on the floor. So I had in mind I needed a bed. One of my problems is generally I have like pottery barn taste, but like a big lots budget. (laughs) So I went to my favorite compromise, which is IKEA. Now, if you've never been to IKEA, you should go at least once. It's a great unique experience, um, but allow yourself several hours because the whole top of the store is just staged in all of their furniture, so you can kind of see it set up in a living room or a bedroom, even a kitchen, and you can kind of pick the things that you like when you see them. So this furniture, you know, Kim was talking about those antique stores where you find these great pieces that are passed down and survive. This is not IKEA furniture. <laughs> you won't find these things. You probably won't pass them down to your children. But they're functional, they're modern, they serve a purpose. Um, the other thing about IKEA is that when you go to look at the instructions to put them together, they're all in pictures. I don't know about you, but I can't read pictures. I need words, and then they need to be very like precise words. And then if you can color code those words, even better. <laughs> So I was determined I was going to buy this bed, bring it home, put it together, and sleep on it that night. If you think I'm exaggerating with how long it takes to put together, one, you're either probably smarter than I am, or you've never put together IKEA furniture. I labored, it seemed like days. I mean, I know I skipped meals, and I definitely went without water, And there I was lying on my face on the floor, begging God to please intervene so I can get this bed together before I can go to sleep. It was then I realized part of what I had put together was backwards. I told you I couldn't read pictures, right? Okay, so I had a choice at this point. Do I light the bed on fire and just walk away from it? And you know the kind of walk away I'm talking about, like in the movies, when you, uh, when they light up, like there's a big explosion behind them and they're just calmly walking away from the scene. That's that's what I'm talking about here. My other option was to persevere and just finish the job. So the rest of the story is that I did finally get the bed together. I did sleep on it that night for every few hours I got, but I've even taken it apart a few times and moved it without tears. Proverbs 14.1 tells us the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. We have just one life here on earth, and it's really short compared to eternity. If we're applying what Proverbs 14.1 says, there's no neutral ground. We're either building or we're tearing down. God has created us as women on purpose, and today we're going to explore some of what those purposes are. Just like the first step to building my furniture was I had laid out all of my pieces so I could see them for whatever good it did for following pictures, Um, I want to start with one foundational principle that's going to kind of carry us through today. This is it. Our purpose within God's design must always go back to the master plan of being rooted in Christ alone. If our purpose is only found in one area, such as our homes, our jobs, our marital status, our children, our grades in school, or really in anything else, then we're following a plan that leads back to me. There's always a temptation to go off plan and think we do not need to look back at the instructions. Remember, I had all the correct pieces to build my bed, but some of my parts were backwards. God gives us all the right parts. Our purpose comes together when we take those pieces and put them together in Christ. So now that I've given probably the most beneficial advice today <laughs> right off the bat let's dig deeper and find out exactly what our purposes are so God has created us as women on purpose and when I started looking into this I went all the way back to the beginning in Genesis and I found an interesting thing that I probably have never processed quite like this God created Adam from the dust of the ground he breathed into him life we find that in Genesis 2 and he was found without a helper. And so God formed Eve out of Adam's rib. Genesis 2.23 says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Man and women, Men and women are both created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 tells us that. But I think it's interesting that God created them in different ways. He could have spoken them both into existence, like he did the stars. He could have used the dust of the ground to create both of them, but he didn't. And I find that interesting. I don't pretend to know what God's thought pattern was here, but you can't argue that they were not, that they were created very differently, even in their creation. So sometimes I think when we talk about men and women and our roles, um, we really kind of get forced into two choices. Either we are equal and have the same role as men, or we're inferior. And I wanna to try to introduce what the true option is, is that we, we really have to root out that thinking that it's one or the other. Sometimes we think men, that God has given men like important work. And so to be equal, we have to reach out and grab what they have. But the real simple thing is that God has created us with unique things for women and if we can embrace that and the design that God has for us, that's where our happiness is going to be. Think of it like this. If, if we're talking about the Godhead, we have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're equal, but they're different. They have different jobs. If I asked you to rank them, you know, who's more important, we couldn't really rank them. They're equal. They just have different jobs, just like men and women. So what is our job? What influence can we have? What life are we supposed to be building? Going back to our Proverbs 14, one verse. I think the first thing that is unique to women is that we are life givers. So we're uniquely created to bear children. God gives us the first knowledge that there's new life inside. And he's equipped us to nurture, to persevere through sleepless nights, to kiss boo-boos, to care for sickness, and have compassion for pain. These are things that you, if you have children, you do naturally as part of being a mom. Now, if I'm listening, if I'm in your spot tonight, today, this morning, whatever time it is, um, (laughs) and I'm hearing me say something like this, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little sensitive to this topic, and by little, sometimes I mean a lot. (laughs) I always wanted to be a mom. I always was the girl who played with baby dolls, and I played house, and as I got older, I always had someone else's baby I was holding, or gathered around me reading a book, I wanted one thing out of life, and that was to get married and have as many children as humanly possible. <laughs> but in reality, you know, I wanted my life to kind of look like that uh, bed I was putting together. I wanted it to come out of the box, just put together. Like, why is that not a thing? But in reality, like, I, I thought that I had submitted all my pieces to God to do with what see, as he as he desired. But... I still wanted it to be like that picture. I wanted to meet the perfect guy, get married young, have a lot of kids, be a stay-at-home mom. Reality is I did get married right out of college, but we spent years trying to get pregnant. I finally got pregnant and miscarried. And then fast forward a few years from that point, my husband had an affair and we ended in divorce. That's not at all like I wanted my life to look. So if I'm sitting here hearing, oh, we're life givers, that means bearing children. Oh, that doesn't sit well with me. So I know there are other women in this room who can identify. Maybe you have been trying to, to have children and can't. Maybe you're single and you want to be married and God just has not provided a husband for you yet. Maybe you have lots of kids and you find it hard to see the blessing in all of them. Or maybe you're a single mom who never thought you'd have to do it on your own. I want to remind us of that foundational principle, though. We find our purpose in Christ alone. Being a life giver doesn't only mean physically bearing children. Of course, it does mean that, but there are so many more ways that we are life givers to those around us. Luke 9.24 says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Being a life giver embraces all of those same characteristics we just talked about with physical children. To nurture, to persevere through personal discomfort, to have compassion, to alleviate suffering, to serve others. These are what it means to fulfill God's design for us to be life givers. So outside of your own children, what might this look like? For me, one of the places that I am a mom (laughs) is at the grocery store. Now, I usually have to go to the grocery store at 5 o'clock when literally everyone else is there. So I find myself always behind the person who leaves their cart in the middle of the aisle and walks away, um, or the person who has to read every description on each aisle just to make sure that they haven't missed something on their list. And I 100% always pick the longest line. So here I am, always going to the grocery store, feeling quite frustrated. <laughs> and I really, God's started transforming my thinking. Like how many people am I walking past that I could have been a help to because I was concentrating on myself and being frustrated. So now I pray and I look for people who need help. I've wandered the aisles, helping an elderly man look for Melba Toast. I didn't even know what Melba Toast was. <laughs> but he was determined so therefore I was too. (laughs) I lifted and moved a motorized cart so that I could plug it in for the next person to use. Now I say I moved it because I can't drive those things so I was a little afraid of like running over people so it was just easier for me to like push it (laughs) so. um, And then one time I'm, it's pouring down rain and I see a close spot and I'm rejoicing because then I don't have to get all wet to go in the store And then I see the lady coming towards me, and her car, she has a handicap placard, and it's pouring rain, and there are no handicap spots left. So I give her that spot. Do I say this to bring attention to myself? No, because my heart, that represents God's work, not mine. My heart was different in that, in how I thought about that. But it's also real-world life-giving. It's nurturing. It's putting aside personal discomfort or time. It's having compassion, it's alleviating suffering, it's serving others. We can also spiritually give life. We can share the gospel with those we meet. We can help nurture the faith of a new believer as they find and strengthen their faith in God. We can breathe life into someone who's suffering by a simple word of encouragement. Okay, so we've seen how God has given us the gift of being life givers. Let's look at the second design that God has for women, and it's in being a helper. Eve was Adam's helper. Helper, oh, I looked up the definition of helper, so um, it was exactly what I expected it to be, to give assistance or support. But there was a second definition that intrigued me. It is an extra locomotive attached to a train at the front, middle, or rear especially to provide extra power for climbing a steep grade. I think that's the perfect picture of what it means to be a helper. That locomotive is powerful, and when it's combined, that offers more power and more effectiveness in climbing those steep and difficult terrains. The key here, though, is that both locomotives can't be the lead and they can't be pulling in two different directions. There is both submission and teamwork coexisting here. Submission is not something that we generally like to talk about. The Bible clearly tells us to submit, but we often think of it as a burden rather than a way to glory in God's design for us. Just like we find our purpose in Christ alone, we find our submission in Christ alone too. All authority comes from God, So with the exception of God, all authority are sinners. So each of our authorities might look different. Is it a husband, a boss, a church leader, a teacher, a parent, even a police officer? Our submission or our being helpers to them should look like that locomotive. We lay down our leadership and our control of a situation and the direction we desire to travel. And we get behind them, and we lend them that support and extra power. I'm not advocating that we should be doormats, or that we're never allowed to voice an opinion or concern. But how are we expressing those things? Is it in a helper way? Or are we just trying to steal control? Now, submission is not a trait reserved for women alone. But I think in the light of in the number of just waves of feminism we've seen in our collective generations, we, it's important to emphasize. So let me give you a real-world example of what this looks like. In October of 2017, there was a Jason Aldean concert in Las Vegas. This concert became the scene of one of the mass shootings. And Renee was there. She met a Marine named Brendan. When the shooting started, Brendan tackled her to the ground and shielded her. When there was a pause in the gunfire, he helped her up, and they ran. And he said, we have to get out of here. We can't stay here. It's not safe. And he helped her on her feet, and they ran for safety. And all the while, he was reassuring her that it was going to be okay. Just keep running until you're safe. That, I think, is a real world example of submission. Had Renee not submitted in that situation, she may not have been alive. Now, you might think I'm extreme in using this example because I don't think anyone would argue that in a a high-stress environment like that one, the Marine is going to have training to deal with this situation. But it's easy for me to dismiss that the, the struggle I have to be a helper or submit, that in those struggles, I have the luxury to determine if my authority is correct first or deserves submission. So may I redirect us to the point that our submission is in God alone. So if we're looking at our authority and deeming them undeserving of submission and therefore excusing our sin and not submitting, we're really just refusing to submit to God. Remember that helper locomotive. Give support. Be powerful. Help get through those hard terrains without aspiring to be the number one locomotive on the tracks. So we've seen God's design in being a life giver and a helper. Now we're going to look at God's design in the glory of women. First Corinthians eleven seven 7 says women woman is the glory of man. There's a lot of nuance that's encompassed in that one word glory. And we're going to look at that what that means as part of God's design for women. We're going to first look at an example straight from scripture. In first Samuel 25 it talks about a woman named Abigail. She was married to Nabal, who was a harsh and evil man. King David had had interactions with Nabal, and he had needed supplies, so he went back to Nabal to to request them, and he was flatly denied. So David returned to his camp, was gathering up his 400 soldiers to go and fight Nabal. One of Nabal's servants told Abigail what was going on. Scripture says she was a woman of good understanding, so she loaded up provisions and took them to King David. She arrived there and humbly bowed and apologized and took responsibility for Nabal's offense towards David. And David accepted those provisions and commended Abigail for her intervention. So Abigail returned and Nabal was drunk, and she waited until morning and told him what happened. Incidentally, God did kill Nabal 10 days after that. This woman exhibited glory. She was married to a wealthy, evil man. She could have approached David in a blaze of pride, demanding he stand down and accept the provisions, but she didn't. She was humble. She accepted responsibility for sin that wasn't even hers. And then she went back to her husband again. Notice she didn't get in his face and tell him how he screwed up again and she had to cover for him. She had great discernment and approached him when she knew she could. Look at Abigail's example. She had rights in this situation. We don't know how long she was married to Nabal, but instead of adopting his ways, becoming bitter at her situation, she was humble. She stepped aside from defending her own self and saved the lives of all of her servants in her husband's care. That's glory. You know, 1 Samuel 25 also says that Abigail was beautiful, but what really made her glorious was her heart. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. We can exhibit glory as Abigail did. How often are we truly letting go of wrongs or being gracious? Or is it too important to defend ourselves to make sure others know that we are in the right? Now, I'm kind of an assertive driver. And I say assertive instead of aggressive, mainly because it just makes me sound better. Um, (laughs) We've all been in this situation when we're approaching a merging lane And we, like the good people we are, merge right away. But there's always that one person who's coming up on the side to pass everybody they can before they merge. My guttural reaction is I'm tailgating, and I'm not letting you in, because I did what was right, and you did not. That is an example of holding on to an offense. It's my right to be in my lane and hold my position. I followed the rules. So this is an example maybe we can all relate to, maybe even laugh at, but let's up the stakes a little bit and apply the principle to real life. What perceived rights are we holding on to? Are we bitter against another woman in church? Have we been hurt by someone and are refusing to forgive because maybe that hurt was legitimate? Just like it's sinful for me to be that jerk driver and refuse to let people merge out of spite, It's sinful to hold on to our pride and offenses towards others out of spite. If you have kids, doesn't it just break your heart when your kids are constantly fighting and can never get along and refuse to love each other? How do you think God the Father feels when he looks down at his children fighting and refusing to humble themselves for the sake of a soul that he's bought and paid for? What if, in these circumstances, we exercised humility instead of pride, forgiveness instead of bitterness, love instead of resentment, mercy instead of holding a grudge? What if I set aside my rights and preferred that other person ahead of myself? That's God's design for glory. Look at your life. Are you building or are you tearing down? Are you embracing God's design? I don't know about you, but I often, most often, when I question what God's purpose is for my life, I'm really just questioning how content I am with his plan. I'd rather have control over my life. I'd rather have exactly what I want at all times. But that's not what's best for me. God has a plan that is best for me. And the more I learn to be content with that plan, the more purpose I find in it. I recently read a book called Learning Contentment by Nancy Wilson, and I just want to read part of it for us today. We think that if we could add to our situation and get the new house or lose weight or make a friend or get out of debt or find a husband or get a new job, then we would be content. That is postponing contentment until our circumstances match our desires. So until we get what we want, We give way to discontent and unhappiness. But why allow our desires to have power over us? We are giving the circumstances authority over our hearts and the keys to our joy. Instead of being unhappy with the situation we are in, we can determine to be satisfied with what God is doing. It is saying to God, I want what you have ordained. You know what is best for me. I rejoice in you. Contentment is internal. It is humble. Contentment is submissive to God and thanks him for all things. Contentment chooses not to fret or fuss or moan or complain and views such things as enemies and threats. This doesn't mean we quit praying for a new job or a bigger apartment. It means that we are content while we pray. Years ago, I read somewhere that we should plant flowers around the cottages not just around the mansions." I love that excerpt. Look at your life. Are there areas that you have been tearing down and destroying because you haven't wanted to follow God's plan? Is it worth it to follow your own plan? God designed us to be women. Embrace that. Love the fact that he has chosen this for you and start building your life today for God's purpose rather than your own. And remember our foundational point. Our purpose within God's design must always go back to the master plan of being rooted in Christ alone. What could your life look like a year from now if you choose to embrace and rest in God's design? All right, did that get you thinking?
0: Well, if you want to think and ponder this more, I encourage you in two ways. Number one, I want to encourage you to head back to each and every one of our Feminology series that we did in 2022 that came out on the first Thursday of each month. This topic of you and I and our design uh, was broken into pieces each and every month of 2022 as we focused on how we're called by God to be feminine. We called this Feminology, and I hope you jump back and listen to those also for more information also i want to encourage you to pick up a book called eve in exile it is an excellent book and very helpful in thinking about these ideas and actually going a little further as we think a little bit more about how the world and history has changed the formation of what feminine looks like you can find that information in our show notes i really love april's practical examples at the grocery store or as she's driving She even pointed us to the scripture in the story of Abigail and how Abigail was a great example to us. Maybe you want to head back to 1 Samuel 25 to read the story of Abigail. That'd be a really good first step to do this week. All right, join us next week as we are continuing our Feminology episodes that happen the first Thursday of each month. We are going to talk all year about the big topic of emotions. If you did not catch the first one, I encourage you to head back and listen to our first Feminology of 2023. And it's kind of like the broad view on emotions. Next week, we're going to spend some time talking about a particular emotion that I think will be helpful to you. It's kind of the theme of the month of February when we have Valentine's Day in it. So I guess I'm going to leave that up to you to think about what that emotion might be. Hey, join us for a great discussion about that. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God, until next time.